Hello everybody and welcome back to Mastering Risk Management, uh, the podcast series that talks about everything risk um, and we interview uh, leading thinkers in the risk management space uh, and sometimes just have a chat about uh, topics that are relevant and um, topical. So um, this is episode number 23, so welcome back, thanks for listening. Um, Today I just thought it would be good to talk a little about risk appetite and the concept of risk appetite. Interesting that we're seeing a demonstration and, and possibly not a great demonstration of people's risk appetite at the moment as we see the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 um, starting to impact so many countries. So we're up to 114, 115 something countries in the world at the moment. And the reaction's been quite interesting, particularly given media coverage today. So, you know, social media, 24-7 media outlets. Yeah, I think it's just really uh, overcooked. And if we think about some of the uh, coverage of viruses or epidemics or pandemics or things that have happened in the past, they haven't been subject to this 24-7 news cycle that we get today with coronavirus. Um, so I think that's part of the problem for reaction. I mean, here in Australia, we've had the still mystical shopping panic for toilet paper rolls. To the life of me, I still can't understand why people have gone absolutely crazy. I was in a supermarket earlier today and the supermarket shelves where the toilet paper section was were empty. Not a single roll to be had. And I just I just can't can't connect how people are associating toilet paper hoarding with um, preparation for coronavirus. But anyway, that just probably goes to show you that people in the absence of good solid information or facts will do some crazy things and I guess this is about uncertainty and uh, you know we know risk is the effect of uncertainty on objectives and there is a lot of uncertainty about this coronavirus will it spread more broadly you know how many people will die you know all of those sort of things all all legitimate concerns but um, it's the uncertainty I think that unsettles people and uh, hence the reason I named my book uh, The Uncertainty Effect and um, that's why uh, this uncertainty is something that's got to be managed and as, as risk professionals, um, it's something that we need to be cognizant of is helping people manage uncertainty uh, or at least do all that they can to reduce the uncertainty. So I guess today was about risk appetite and and I guess a lot of people question whether you do need to have a published risk appetite statement and it's a really interesting question because there's organisations that, that do and in a lot of cases, uh, you, particularly when you talk about your financial services firms, they have little choice. Um, they have to have one. But there's organisations that don't either. But some of the ones that don't probably have a better understanding or a better penetration of the idea of what the organisation's risk appetite is than those that do have a formal appetite published. So, you know, do you have one? Do you not have one? I guess it's up to the organisation to consider and, and to think about what they want to do. Personally, I'm leaning in favour of having a risk appetite statement, but that's on the proviso that you actually 
do it properly and you actually make sure that the risk appetite statement is effective. So what does effective mean? What what does doing it properly mean? So if you're going to have a risk appetite statement, I think you've got to go back to what are you trying to do with risk appetite or risk management generally? What What's the purpose of risk management? Well, I think there's a lot of confusion out there still with the word risk. You know, people see it as a negative, it's a threat, uh, it's something that's going to stop me from getting where I need to go. And it's this sort of glass half empty type attitude or, you know, this pessimistic attitude to risk that I think is half the problem or half the limitation with many organisations. So remembering risk management or, you know, effective risk management is thinking about how you balance taking risks. So, you know, if you operate with an abundance of caution, then you're potentially not going to hit your strategic objectives. You're going to be too conservative, too risk averse, and you're not going to take risks that might help the organisation achieve its goals. So every organisation to be successful, be that a government department, be that a not-for-profit, a charity, a privately held company, a family business, you have to take risk to seize opportunities. So excessive caution is not the answer. Likewise, going too far and taking excessive risk is potentially organisation threatening as well. You know, you could bet the farm on on a significant opportunity and take a risk that that might pay off, but it could all fall over. So, you know, you, you might be saying that I'm doing this in, in the idea of growing the business, but it could actually terminate the business or, or, or put the business out of business. So this concept of risk management is about balancing your risk taking all right so if you keep that idea of balance in mind you've got a pretty good idea then about what risk management's all about and if you're thinking about balance then the risk appetite statement is designed to help you articulate that balance so pretty simply there'll be things that you will never do um, and typically they are Things like, you know, condone fraud, uh, have risk to people's safety, you know, bullying, harassment, have child labour in your supply chain. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that you would just never accept. So in your appetite, you know, you say you have no appetite for those types of risks. On the other hand, there will be things that you have a high appetite for or risks that you have a high appetite for. So, for instance, you might have an opportunity to improve business processes uh, which reduce uh, the amount of labour required to get stuff done and that means you can redirect those people towards customer service and customer facing roles thereby improving your efficiency improving customer outcomes and customer satisfaction and providing therefore a high reward better chance of achieving your objectives those sort of risks you'd have a high appetite for So it's this whole idea of balance. So risk, as we know, is a two-sided coin. Consists of threats and opportunities. So risk management means capitalising on both sides of the coin. Mitigating the threat risks, maximising the opportunity risks. So I guess appetite is about spelling that out. But 
what does that mean? You don't just write a sentence that says, yep, we don't want to have any fraud risk and yes, we do want to reduce the cost of the business. It's a bit more uh, nuanced than that. So I guess some of the key things you would be looking for in a risk appetite statement are things like a clear linkage to the business's objective. So what is it that this firm is trying to do? Um, and what are the strategies that you're going to employ to get you there? So that connection between your appetite and where the organisation is going and how it's going to get there uh, is really is really key. Now, inherent in those comments is that those things are about the future. So whatever's happened has happened. Um, your strategies and objectives are all aimed at future activities. So your risk appetite statement should be thinking about future states as well. One of the key things you want to do, and one of the mistakes I've often seen with risk appetite statements that I've reviewed or um, have seen in organisations, and I've I've been called into uh, a few organisations of recent times to help them reframe their risk appetite statement, but one of the common things that you'll find is the risk appetite statement is a beautifully drafted document and lovely use of the English language, but it sits in a drawer somewhere or, you know, is talked about by the board and a few of the senior management and the risk department might get excited about about it, but nobody else in the business even knows it exists. So it doesn't get cascaded through the business, so uh, it doesn't uh, get communicated or circulated or talked about. And it sits in isolation. So it doesn't actually get embedded into the business and the business processes. So that's a really important concept that you think about how is this going to come to life, as it were, in the business. And I guess, like anything, if you're going to take this action and you're going to put a risk appetite statement in place, you need some measures and metrics about you know, how do we know if this is successful? How do we know this is working? Uh, how do we know if people, divisions, departments, whatever they are, are deviating from the stated risk appetite? So you need this to be measurable right, and actionable. So I guess those are some of the things that you probably want to think about in terms of what the composition of a risk appetite statement would look like. I guess, how do you then... Uh, the, the formation of a risk appetite statement itself is not difficult. The actual embedding it and making it come to life in the business is the, is the challenging part in a lot of cases. So, And it can be a significant challenge, but you need to think about this through um, a few steps. So potentially think about these things. The first thing you need to do is make sure that you have the support of the senior leadership team. So there has to be clear buy-in and you know not just the board you know handing down an edict but there has to be buy-in uh, right across the senior leadership team the c-suite as it were that they're on board they understand the need for it and most importantly they are part of the construction of the risk appetite i said earlier you know it should align to the organisations objectives and the strategies for for getting there and 
this senior executive group are the owners and the stewards of those objectives and strategies, so they need to be heavily involved. One of the other things you want to do is make sure that you talk about the not just the appetite and the statement itself, but those metrics and measures and all of the elements of the risk appetite statement in business language. So it's one of the things I call out in my book that we as risk professionals can sometimes get a bit carried away with acronyms and jargon and things that make a lot of sense to us but mean absolutely nothing to the business people we liaise with. All right, And when you think about other professions, they don't talk to you in their professional language. They try and explain things in plain English. So a lawyer doesn't explain to you how the law works. He tells you what the outcomes are or the results. Uh, a surgeon doesn't talk to you about all the stuff he learned in medical school. He tells you about what the issue is and what they can do to treat it. And as risk professionals, I think we need to think uh, a little bit more about who our customer is, uh, the business, and talk to them in their language. So make sure everything you do when contemplating developing a risk appetite statement, you're thinking about in terms of the business. One of the things that I also like to do is think about the values, the core values, or you know those things that the business likes to pride itself on. Um, you know, if you can identify those those core operating values of an organisation and you can somehow tie those values into the risk appetite statement, you'll find it much easier to connect with staff when you're trying to operationalise the risk appetite statement. So if you can make it embedded or, or you know, really feature-rich in terms of the organisation's core values, um, you'll find much greater acceptance because people are used to that. They understand those things and terms. It sounds familiar, so you're better. You're likely to get better acceptance of that. Obviously, the challenge with the risk appetite statement that you see at an organisational level or a board level is, in some cases, again, if you're a financial institution, quite prescribed and contains certain language and, and those sort of things. And it's, it's very high level. But as you, and I like the word cascade, as you cascade the risk appetite statement down through the organisation, you should start to tailor that risk appetite to the level of the business that you're talking about. So, you know, the senior executives will see something reasonably similar to the boards. Uh, the next level middle management might see something that's more relevant to just their business area with some of the core principles. And frontline management uh, might see something uh, very specific again. And as a matter of fact, I actually like the concept of dropping the whole name of risk appetite statement as you're getting further down into the organisation. So you're not calling it a risk appetite statement necessarily at the front line. It may actually be something that's embedded into business policies, procedures, things like delegations of authority, uh, are often really great tools to outline what the actual appetite is. And then I guess the last piece you'd have a look at was would be thinking about your communication of the appetite and then your training in how to apply the appetite to day-to-day -day business decision-making. So you would think about uh, who the target audience is, what their roles are from a day-to-day -day point of view, and how you might actually utilise uh, 
what you've done with the risk appetite statement on the job, as it were. So think about those people in their day-to-day role, the decision-making that they do, and how the risk appetite statement can help inform them when they're making uh, the decisions that they need to make. So a fair bit to think about there, but I think really important that risk appetite, uh, as I said, I'm a fan. I think um, organisations should put their minds to this. It'll be up to individual organisations how formal or informal that risk appetite statement might be, but they need to think about how they want to apply that how to bring it to life in their organisation, whether it's very formal and lots of documents and supporting uh, tools or whether it's a little bit more informal. But it, um, as I said, I'm a fan. I think it's a good idea to express to all across the organisation your appetite. One, because I think people can sometimes get the impression that the company or the organisation or the charity or whatever is more risk averse than what it actually is so therefore people don't take enough risk likewise people assume they can go and do almost anything until someone pulls them up over it uh, and they may be taking too much risk so it's really important to set some parameters or some guidelines for people you know a safe set of guardrails for people to operate within and they know that if they operate within those guardrails they're safe somebody has their back Likewise, they know if they operate outside the guardrails, then potentially they're in trouble. You know, they're, they're on their own. So listen, I hope that's useful. There are plenty of um, articles written about the subject of risk appetite, all the associations, um, the Institute of Risk Management, um, the Risk and Insurance Management Society, all sorts of people uh, write articles about this. Any of the consulting houses uh, will have... Um, some papers on this but I thought it useful just to talk through that it is a question that I get asked a lot as I said I'm on a couple of engagements as we speak helping organizations with their risk appetite and it's um, it's one I think organizations struggle with but I I don't think it needs to be as hard as um, as some people are experiencing anyway just a short one today just to talk briefly about that so thanks again for listening uh, don't forget the new book is out there oh and some exciting news the uh, book is now available in uh, Kim if you're an Amazon subscriber or even if you're not you can uh, you can get the book now uh, on Amazon in either uh, hard copy or in uh, Kindle format for those that like to read an, an ebook so um, thanks for your support with that as well Again, as usual, if you have any thoughts or suggestions about who you'd like to hear on the podcast or subjects you'd like to hear us talk about, please feel free to contact me. So um, my email address is anthonyw at proximityriskassurance.com.au. And uh, for those in Australia or if you want to incur the bill from overseas, my mobile is uh, plus six one four zero four. 829040. So thanks again for your support and uh, for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Cheers.